judgment rules. What does that mean? It can mean three things. You've heard the phrase double entendre, maybe. This one's a triple one. It can mean three different things. Maybe it could mean judgment rules. It's the best. Yay for judgment. I love it. Judgment rules. It's, okay, it's not that. Someone laughed. It's not that. Or maybe it means here are rules about judgment. Here's how judgment should work. Here's how judgment should happen in the world. It, it could legitimately mean that, but that's not what we mean today. We talked about that last week. Um, if you missed last week, go on our Facebook page or go on the website, listen to the sermon, find out all about what the rules for judgment are for you. No. Judgment rules is a complete sentence. Subject and verb. Because that's what judgment does. It rules. The word in the Bible that we're looking at today, one of the words that God uses that is often translated judgment, the word is, I've said it a couple times already, mishpat. Can you say it with me? Ready? Mishpat. There you go. Now you know a Hebrew word. It means, it means judgment. But the basic meaning of it, it's not how we think of judgment, because we hear judge and we think someone sitting in a courtroom who's rendering a verdict. But in the Bible, this is a little more general, usually. It just means government, the people in charge, a ruler, a leader. And so this is almost like saying the same thing twice. The people in charge, or the person in charge, rules. Judgment, personified, is in control. And the spirit of that is what you're going to hear in a couple minutes from Psalm, actually less than a couple minutes, from Psalm 37. But when you hear these words from God in Psalm 37, I want you to look for a couple things. Number one, who is the one who is in charge? Who is the one who is ruling? Who is the one who is governing, according to Psalm 37? Who is in charge? And then when you, when you see who that is, how how does that cause you to act when you see that that is the thing or the person in charge? What kind of attitude does this cause you to have according to Psalm 37? Okay, so listen for who is in charge and how does that cause you to act and feel? What attitude does it give you? Here's God's words for us from Psalm 37. He writes to us um, through King David. He says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. This is God's word. Did you notice it? First and last verse, same exact phrase. It's like God wanted us to remember this because he put it at the beginning and then he capped off this section by saying it again. Did you notice the phrase? Same one. Do not fret. Do not fret. 
Now, you look up fret in the dictionary, it says this, to be constantly or visibly worried or anxious. So don't be constantly or visibly worried or anxious. Why? Because of those who are evil. Do not fret when people succeed, when they care. Now, David could have paraphrased that, and he could have used in language that we might say today, he could have said, don't get all hot and bothered. Don't get hot under the collar. Because the Hebrew word for fret, it literally means to be hot. So don't get hot and bothered. And what happens when you get hot under the collar or you get hot and bothered when you fret? Sometimes your face gets red. Like people might visibly notice that you are upset. Don't get hot and bothered. God's saying, don't get hot and bothered when the things in the world don't appear like you feel like they should appear. Don't get all bent out of shape. Don't get hot and bothered when, when people who appear to be wicked um, are having success. When seemingly good things are happening to bad people. Because you think it should be the other way around. Like two tough things. When bad things happen to good people and when good things happen to bad people. Now we could have a whole other series on what good people and bad people are. Don't get me started, but that's another day. But that's hard, right? When it, when it seems like bad things are happening to good people, or it might even be harder when it looks like good things are happening to bad people. Like maybe in your workplace, the people who get ahead, who seem to have the most success, are the ones who basically do it by pushing down everyone else. People who take advantage of others, they're the ones who catapult into more, more earthly success. Or maybe in a different way. This is true for you personally. Like you look at your life and you recognize you're a sinful person, but you think, man, I, I for the most part, I'm, I'm doing what God says, or I'm trying to at least. I'm a Christian. And, but I look at this other person or those other people, and man, their life looks so good, and man, they do not believe in God. And here I am, and I can't catch a break. But God says, don't fret. Don't get all hot and bothered. And the reason he says that is because he says, look at the bigger picture. Because he, he says in, in verse 2, he says, don't fret because like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Keep the big picture in mind. Someone who is doing wicked things is like they're going to wither away. They're going to die. Now, this does not make us happy. We don't want anyone to end their life not trusting that Jesus took away their sins. And so because you don't want that, you're going to do everything you possibly can to tell wicked people, whoever they are, who Jesus is and what he's done for them. Because how could you not? This isn't something that makes us happy. But God says, keep the big picture in mind and don't fret. Don't get hot and bothered. Don't get hot under the collar when you see quote, bad people experiencing wonderful things. In other words, let God be God. Let God be the judge. You can't be. Let God be God. So where does that leave us? What do we do then? Well, the middle of our section gives us four things. Number one, trust in the Lord. Can you control everything? You can answer. 
No. So don't try to. You know you can't. So don't try to control everything. Because when we try to be God and control everything, only bad things happen. We only fail. We only get hot and bothered. Like, a silly example, but I try to control my son Frederick's sleeping patterns. I can't. I can do everything right and everything we're supposed to do, but we can't control his sleeping patterns. But if I think, oh yeah, I can do it, that's when I get frustrated. That's when I get hot and bothered, when I think I should be able to control it, but then I find out I can't. But if I sit back and realize that I can't, it might not go any better, but I'm, I'm not going to get hot under the collar about it. I'm just going to trust God with it. Trust God. You can't control everything, so don't try to. But he continues, he says, trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Here's something that you can't control. You can't control how other people treat you. But you can do good to them. You can't control the weather. One day it's 70, the next day it's snowing. But you can control how you react to it. You can't control how your employer treats you. Maybe they're wonderful, maybe they're horrible. But you can control how you act as an employee. You can do good to them and all your coworkers. You can't control how your kids act. But you can do good things as a parent for them. You can't control how your parents are or anyone else in authority. But you can do good to them. You can give them the respect and honor that God says you should give them. You can't control everything, so don't try. Trust God. And, David tells us, do good. That's thing number one. Number two, trust in the Lord and take delight in the Lord. Now, this week's a little different. I usually don't go all deep into Hebrew word meanings, but this one, it's too good not to share. When I looked this up in the Hebrew dictionary, take delight, I smiled and then laughed because the main meaning is to be dainty. <laughs> like I'm thinking my wife enjoys, uh, what's her name, Jane Austen, you know? I'm thinking 1800s England, tea and crumpets, daintiness. So, but it's translated take delight in. And in the dictionary it says take exquisite delight in something. Now, it's Valentine's Day on Friday, and I've only had one macaroon in my entire life, but it was incredible. But my wife, Becky, she loves them. I don't know if I'm going to get her macaroons for Valentine's Day or not, but if I do, I guarantee she will take exquisite delight in them. She is not going to take one, shovel it into her mouth whole, swallow it as quickly as possible, and then throw in four more and eat them as quickly as she can. Like, I might do that, but she's not going to. She's going to take exquisite delight in those macaroons. David tells us, take exquisite delight in the Lord. Taste what he does. Look at who he is. Taste every aspect of him that you possibly can. Experience all of his goodness. Take delight in the Lord. And then he makes a promise, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Because if you take delight in the Lord, the desire of your heart is God himself. He promises himself to you. So first, things we can do, trust in the Lord, take delight in the Lord. Thirdly, commit your way to the Lord. Now it says your way. This means your entire life. All your ways. Every single thing you do, commit it to God. And here I've got to give you the literal definition as well. The word for commit, it literally means to roll something onto something else. So he's saying take your life. Every single day, everything you do, everything you plan, take it all, take it off of yourself, roll it on to God. Take all the weight of it, all your ways, all your days, roll it on to God. Commit your way to God, roll it onto him. He can hold it because he's God. Commit your way to the Lord. And finally, be still before the Lord. Now, if you're still, by definition, you're not doing anything. Be still before the Lord. And this follows right in line with trust in him, commit your way, roll your ways onto him. Be still. Sit back and say, God, I can't be in control. I know you are. So you do whatever it is that you know is best for me and for everyone else. I'm going to be still. God, you do your thing. Trust in the Lord. Take delight in the, war, in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord and be still before the Lord. Sound good? All right. We're done. We're not. I missed something. Did you notice what I missed? I missed the very best part. Verse 5 said this, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. Now, when I was a kid, this was one of the passages that we had to memorize. And I remember memorizing this one. And it's great. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. In other words, he's going to do this. Whatever this means. And he knows what's best. Because like we told the kids, he's not just all powerful. He's all loving. He can do anything and he loves you. So he's always going to do what is best for you. So commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. Wonderful. Except that's not all. There's words that come next. What does this mean? Is it up there? You're already, I think you're already looking at it. What is this? It says, he will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. That's what God promises to do. And that word vindication, that's the word that we've been talking about all day. That's the word judgment. It's also used this way. Vindication. And if you look up vindication in a dictionary, it says this. Vindication is the action of clearing someone of blame or suspicion. And I'll submit to you that there's nothing better than being vindicated. If you look up people who were let out of prison after a long time because they were found innocent, you can find almost endless examples. But there's one guy. His name is Alfred Chestnut. And he knows that there's nothing better than being vindicated. Because back when he was 16 in Baltimore, he was convicted of murder in 1983. And he spent the next 36 years of his life behind bars. But then just last fall, a couple days before Thanksgiving, he's 52 years old now. Can you imagine from age 16 to 52? New evidence was found. 
And then it took a while yet. But a couple days before Thanksgiving, he walked out, vindicated. He was released from blame or suspicion. And here's what he said. He said, this is overwhelming. I always dreamed of this. And my mom, this is what she's been holding on to forever, to see her son come home. That's vindication. And trust in him and he will do this. He will make your vindication shine like the noonday sun. God will vindicate you. He will judge you as totally right, as free from all blame and all suspicion. And what does this do? This makes it so that it doesn't matter if other people judge you. Because God has judged you as vindicated. And he's God. And it also frees you from having to judge other people. Because why do we judge other people sometimes? It's often to make ourselves feel better. Like even if it's a glance, or maybe you say it out loud, but you look at a, a person, you say, oh, look at him and what he did. Man, I wouldn't do that. Or look at her, look how lazy she is. At least I'm not that lazy. Or look at that family. Wow, that makes me feel better about how my family's put together. But here's the thing. You don't have to feel better about yourself. Because how much better could you feel? The God who is God over everything, he pronounces you free from blame. He has vindicated you. The God who sees all your thoughts, he, he doesn't even see just what we do. He knows the attitudes behind what we do. He knows the thoughts of every heart. We can just see actions. He sees thoughts. He sees every single thing that I've ever done and every single thing that you've ever done. And yet, he says, your vindication, he says, you are worth a righteous reward that shines like the eternal dawn. Because when God looks at you, he sees you, but he, he doesn't vindicate you because he sees everything you do. He vindicates you because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. The Jesus who lived perfectly and was willing to not be vindicated, was willing to be pronounced guilty. He sees Jesus who then gave you his absolute perfect status, his perfect honor, perfect glory, his perfect status as a perfect tenant of perfect heaven. So you don't need to try and make yourself feel better by looking down on other people. You're completely free from that because God looks at you in this way and it's the best possible way. It frees you from feeling like you have to judge other people. And God vindicating you, it also frees you from fretting. It frees you from being hot and bothered about anything. It frees you from ever saying things um, like so many people on TV say about quote-unquote evil people who are having good things happening to them. It frees you from ever saying things like, oh, those evil political people, they're so evil and they do all these evil things, those Democrats or those Republicans, they do so much evil and yet how can they be so popular? How can they, becoming, how can they be so good? Those evil people. It frees you from ever fretting about any of that. And it's, what, eight months till the, 
the election, like this is only going to grow more and more. It's only going to become more and more in your life. And God tells you, you don't have to fret about it. You don't have to get hot under the collar about any of it, no matter what happens. Because God is the ruler over all rulers. He is the government over all governments. He is the judge over all judges. We don't have kings in this country, but if we did, he would be the king over all kings. No matter what happens in your life or in the government or in anything else, it's like that paperclip I showed to the kids. Like how little of a thing. And that's how every single thing is to God. He is the one in charge. Psalm 37 says, don't fret. Don't get hot and bothered. You don't need to. God is God. Let him be. And finally, if you see God as God and him as the one who vindicates you, it frees you. It frees you, again, from ever having to judge anybody. You can forget all of it because God is the judge. He's going to take care of things. And it frees you up to simply give people one thing. No matter who they are, whether they're wicked or righteous, you are free to simply give them your unconditional love. You don't have to worry about carrying out justice or judgment on people you think are wrong. They're going to wither like the grass. God will take care of it in the end. You are free to show them unconditional love, which is exactly what the ruler of rulers, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, unconditional love is exactly what he has chosen to show you and me. Because he is the best kind of judge. He is the judge who has covered over all our sins with the sinlessness of his son, Jesus. So trust in the Lord. Let God be God. Don't try to control everything. You can't. I can't anyways. Let God be in control because he is. You're free from judging other people. You're free to simply love them as God the judge has loved you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we like to be in control. I do, and in a way, all of us do. But we can't. We can't ever control everything. So give us the trust and the faith in you to not try to control everything. You are the God over all the other small g gods. You are the Lord of lords, the ruler of rulers, the government over all governments. You are in charge of everything. You are the ruler. You are the judge. Give us faith to trust you as such. And as if that weren't enough, as if you having power over everything weren't enough, you vindicate us. Not because we deserve it, but because in addition to being omnipotent, all-powerful, you are also all-loving. Thank you for rendering the verdict on us that we are innocent, completely free from blame, completely vindicated, free from the prison of death and hell. Because when you look at us, you see your perfect son, Jesus. Work this truth into our hearts and let it flow out of us in unconditional love towards everyone, no matter who they are or what they've done, whether they're good to us or bad to us. 
You've unconditionally loved us. Let us unconditionally love all others. Help us to do this. In your name we pray. Amen.